Hey, what is up? Welcome to a bonus episode of Pop Culture Leftovers. This episode, I am talking to writer and director TJ Regan, who wrote and directed a movie called I Am D.B. Cooper about just what I'm going to tell you about. Two bounty hunter brothers encounter an ailing old man named Rodney Bonifield while coordinating his bail after a violent encounter on a dairy farm involving a machete. Close to his sentencing, he reveals to the bondsmen not only was he responsible for the notorious D.B. Cooper plane hijacking, the ransom cash is still buried and he needs their help digging it up. Against the clock with Rodney's prison sentence looming, the group set out on a modern-day treasure hunt to recover the money he buried on the Columbia River 50 years ago, uncovering bizarre truths about Rodney Bonifield and his connection to the unsolved hijacking in U.S. history. This was the only unsolved airplane hijacking ever. Uh, they call it a skyjacking. And uh, yeah, D.B. Cooper is almost more legend than real at this point i mean we're we're coming upon like the 50th anniversary of the of the of the plane hijacking and uh this drama movie it it has everything it has interviews with the real life rodney bonifield who's claiming to be db cooper it has reenactment scenes so it's a little bit of like unsolved mysteries in that way uh the reenactments are fantastic this dude rodney is like a wild character this movie was a lot of fun i'm a huge db cooper nut so i definitely wanted to watch this movie and be able to um kind of talk with tj regan about his experience and uh of making this movie and uh it, it, it was it's fascinating uh the movie's going to be available on december 9th and you'll be able to see it in select theaters as well as it being available on video on demand so definitely check it out on video on demand but yeah listen to the interview here with tj and i'm sure you guys are going to love this movie and he goes uh I got something else to run by you. I says, well, I'm D.B. Cooper. I've been wanted for a long time. When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger who gave his name as D.A. Cooper. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, description on one wire service, master criminal. In the early 70s, a hijacker calling himself D.B. Cooper jumped from an airliner in flights, carrying 200,000 bucks in ransom cash, and disappeared in the woods of the Pacific Northwest. His fate remained unknown, his true identity a mystery that is perhaps until now. They can't prove a thing on me. But now, they prove it all. Well, Rodney had this lone wolf kind of mystery about him, like he had a secret. I decided to come out now and tell the truth about everything so the people that have a right to know who I am. This is real, and we might find this money. You got 193000 some dollars buried on the beach. So we're going treasure hunting and just dig it up. Some guy hijacked a plane in Portland last night and then jumped from it. This guy got away with it. And, and the more I looked into it, the more I thought, well, he's either the most well-versed D.B. Cooper fanatic that I've ever met or even heard of, or he's D.B. Cooper. Oh, my God, you're still alive. I'll take a bourbon on the rocks. And if you could keep those coming until the plane lands or I jump out of it, that'd be great. Bonus episode. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. It's a trap. Good at toss it, good at taste. Do we love it? Hey, let's race it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over, counterculture push over. Pop culture. Leftover. And uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftover. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. I, I'm not sure. Like, what I know when I started 
getting obsessed kind of like with db cooper it was Mm -hmm. in the late 80s watching late 80s early 90s watching an old unsolved mysteries episode with robert stack and i was just like this is insane and it stuck with me over the years like this it's almost you don't realize what a big character it is until it starts popping up in other forms of media like they've made db cooper comic books and he's almost like a folk hero to some people and like almost like yeti bigfoot kind of like loch ness monster status but this was like a dude that really existed yeah but it's almost like you know guy shows up one night disappears completely gone and just captivates like the imagination of the entire nation we want to know answers that's just who we are we're inquisitive we want to know answers about this guy i've seen literally probably within the last it's really picking up with like the 50th anniversary within the last like four or five years. I've seen like four or five DB Cooper yeah. mi- docuseries, movies, yeah. uh, documentaries. What was it? Uh, DB Cooper, where are you? The mystery of DB Cooper. And then this popped up. I'm like, okay, I have an opportunity to speak with TJ who's involved in this project. I'm kind of, I'm not saying like I'm a huge fanboy, but I am a fan of the yeah. DB Cooper lore so i'm excited to talk to you about this good yeah i'm excited to talk to you too and i also liked how in the movie itself it was kind of like uh you had the reenactments just like Mm -hmm. you know watching unsolved mysteries back in the day but you could be a little edgier with it than they could of course and it felt very like um if you've ever seen the movie blow with johnny depp oh yeah those oh, yeah. scenes and, and DB. One of my favorite. Yeah, yeah, fantastic movie. And so I was really digging. Sometimes that takes me out, but this time yeah. I'm digging it because, like, I'm getting to see this story. And uh, I yeah, really, we had yeah. the, we had to step up our game in that aspect. I mean, it's tough when you're doing reenactments, especially with dialogue. Yeah. So it was really important in order to do that properly. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed at the beginning of the movie is you just start with, like, him getting ready to jump off yeah. the plane. And I was like, oh, he doesn't have the glasses on. He looks nervous. I've never seen that before. And it makes sense. Why would you have your sunglasses on when you're about to jump out? Everybody's in the cockpit. They're not going to see your eyes. And he's like pumping himself up. Like, <sighs> yeah. you yeah. always see him cool, calm, and collected in any reenactment. And I was like, finally, I think somebody got this right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the cool part about it. Like, it was just... What was it really? What was it really like? You yeah, know? and that's what was so fascinating about the situation is that somebody gave me their firsthand account about how it actually happened. Yeah, whether or not whether or not it's true or not, it's like there was no missteps or no no withholding of information. So it was really able to we were able to like really pinpoint on how it probably was. You know, so we tried to tell it as authentically as possible. You know? Yeah, yeah, this whole thing with. Rodney Bonifield reminded me of like Brushy Bill coming out and saying, hey, I'm Billy the Kid Mm -hmm. years later and nobody Mm -hmm. can prove it. But we're hanging on every word just to hear like, you know, oh, Billy, the kid survived, you know. And so here we are with Rodney Bonifield and like we're wanting to we're wanting to believe like I'm wanting to believe like this is this. We've got our answers. This is the dude. This is the guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really that was really the most important part for the film is that we we were telling his story, you know, mm-hmm. well, who are we to say that it's not him, especially as we're investigating it and trying to poke holes in his story. And, you know, I, I really didn't know. I didn't know too much about B.B. Cooper. I wasn't a big fan of it or anything. I, I had watched Without a Paddle as a kid or something like that, where they were looking yeah. for D.B. Cooper's money, you know. Yeah. Uh, so then when Mike uh, Roach of the Bounty Hunter came to me and said that this guy is claiming to be him, I did as much research as I possibly could of the actual concrete evidence that, you know, the FBI had. And I just um, schooled myself on the story. So then when I went on the dig with Rodney... I just made sure to stick with the facts and see if he could fill in those spaces, uh, those blank spots. And that's what he did. Right. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like you could you could approach this from two different ways. You're, you're basically saying I'm approaching it as you're saying you're D.B. Cooper. Let's hear your side of the story. It's not mm-hmm. like it's not like you're like, OK, this guy's clearly out of his mind. Let's exploit him. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So it's like we're, you're going to approach it from, hey, if this is D.B. Cooper, 
I want to know what else was going on your in your life to get you to the point where you're hijacking a plane for two hundred thousand dollars and jumping off of it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I appreciated that. I appreciated that. So thank you. Yeah. So they come to you, and what's your instant thought on this whole thing? It was just excitement. I'm, I'm, I've been close with Mike, uh, a long time and, you know, we, we hang out and, you know, we go, uh, I, my family has a small business where we're from and it's a golf course with a bar. So I've been on the golf course many times with him, drank with him. He's this wild and crazy badass dude, you know? Yeah. And when he told me about it, we were just giddy, you know, and we're like, Oh my gosh, this would be so crazy, you know? And we were, we just got so pumped and excited about it, you know? And, his prison sent- sentence was looming, so he was about to go to prison for, like, four years yeah. for attempted murder. So we had, like, a couple weeks, and I was like, all right, we just got to gotta do this, you know? So we did a little bit of vetting in the beginning. The only reason why we thought he was credible is because they had known him for a year or so, and everything that he said checked out. Like, he had uh, gold mines in the mountains. He said he had gold mines in the mountains, Bazooka Gold Mining Company. And we checked all of that out. That is true. You know, he has a long family history and everything that he was saying was credible uh, other than the D.B. Cooper spot. So we just we were thinking, you know, this guy hasn't lied to us yet. So, you know, let's take it a step further. Yeah. Yeah. I, You know, I was I was watching it and the part that really got me, I was thinking, man, this guy seemed he could be D.B. Cooper is the part with Larry Feingold on the plane. Yes. The yes, attorney. The yeah. 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 And like it was just like it was crazy because we saw a picture of Larry Feingold and we did our research and he was bald uh, and he was actually there. And that's one of those things that you really have to do your research in order to find out about Larry Feingold. Mm-hmm. And Rodney doesn't have access to like the Internet and the television and things like that. You know, they live right. a very stupid life. So for him to know all of these things and all of everything that I was speaking about, asking, asking questions about even the concrete evidence, he knew. So either he had just, you know, done as much research as anyone possibly could and lived that lie or it's really him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, where are you with it? Like, you're just like, it. are you like, no, it's not him. Like I've, 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 you know, I know him enough now. I just, I don't think it's him. You know, even we, 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 when we were on the dig, we had this meter, all of us, we had this, this bullshit meter where it would be, you know, it's him. Yeah. And then boom. Oh, it's not him. And then it would go back and forth. And after the whole time knowing him, going on the dig, talking to him, my, my, my answer to this every time is, I wouldn't bet my life that it's him, right. but I also wouldn't bet my life that it's not him. Right. So no matter what, it's just like it, it is very it's a very interesting situation because we were around him for so long. And, yes, he's pretty a pretty crazy guy and says some pretty crazy things. But there's still that that thing that really makes me believe like, yeah, it could be him, you know? Yeah, it, it would definitely take somebody with I don't know, with with. With huge balls to do what he did. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's what I kept. The only thing I, I kept getting hung up on was like it felt like this was all so rushed with him. Like it was just like a spur of the moment. I'm doing this and like zero training going in. But then I'm also thinking like maybe that's maybe that's what it took to get this yeah. done. And that's know? what and that's pretty much what what his story was is that, you know, he he was born in 52. So he was around 19 or 20 when he said he did this. And people on the airplane said that he was um, older, like in his 30s. Right. And we asked him, like, why is that? You know, and he said straight up, he's like, I was up for four days on crisscross speed. So pretty much meth. And at the age of, at the age that he was, he had a receding hairline. So he did look older and he showed us photos of himself when he was younger. Um, so that was a very important thing for us because that was one thing we got hung up on. But then when he said he was up four days straight on speed, uh, and he had a receding hairline, then it, then it all kind of went together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could easily mis- mistake somebody for being older if they, for sure. yeah, especially if they, when you're, 
especially when you're running hard like that you know what i mean especially when you're into the drugs and all of that you could definitely age yourself pretty quickly if you're going as hard as he said he was yeah oh gosh that's like i think like you know i'm I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to watch all these different stories with this guy, all these crazy, like, uh, heist. He was like, there was one night where him and his buddy went out and pulled off three robberies. And I'm like, is, is the Kung Pao story for real? Did that, (laughs) I'm like, this is just, this is like crazy. Is the Kung Pao story real with, uh, what's her name? Yuki. Like, did that really happen? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that uh that that he he had ran through about you know ten robberies that he did like, yeah. that were that that were supposedly real. Uh, so I just picked the the best ones and wrote the script accordingly. Oh, the Yuki one was gold. That one was yeah, gold. Yeah. That was yeah, awesome. Yeah. I liked it. Um, yeah, I I was uh, I was watching this through the lens of like I'm gonna hope I'm gonna try to believe that this guy is DB until like the very end until they get to that site and then, then they start the dig. And man, it's like you know I don't know what all you want me to get into and I don't want to spoil the movie for people who haven't seen it or anything like that but um yeah. that's like the anticipation that's the reason to keep watching this is you know yeah. eventually you're going to get to where they're going to start digging and looking for the money that's been buried and that's yeah. you know every I mean even as an adult like you know we, I grew up watching the Goonies I grew up watching Treasure Island and you know, even as an adult, the fact that there might be like some sort of like hidden treasure out there, and especially DB Cooper's hidden treasure. Yeah, you know, like, I'm thinking about back in the '80s when it was Geraldo Rivera opening up, opening up the vault for uh, who's the guy, who's the mobster, and um, I don't think it was Hoffa. Did I can't. Yeah, it was Hoffa. It was Hoffa. And then and nothing was there. So it's like, are they gonna find it? Are they gonna find yeah. any of it? Yeah, yeah. And that was the like. Think about it. Like this old man had like he had about you know seven guys that uh, like grown men take him down to the columbia river and go on a modern day treasure hunt Mm -hmm. and in order to do that he had to be compelling and he had to be we had to believe it and we really did we we really we really believed and believed that 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 money was out there so we were going to get going to go try and find it you know so that was the that was the start of the project. Yeah. I had no clue that I was going to make this film when I, when we did go on the dig, I, I went to go try to make a documentary about finding DB Cooper's money. And then if we found the money, we were going to solve the, you know, the only unsolved hijacking in world history. Right. Um, so once we did all of that, and then I heard his story, I, uh, I was in New York during COVID and I was just uh, like, you know, cooped up in my hotel room and i was just thinking i'm like you know what everything that he said and all of his story points and and everything like that i can tell this story narratively i can make a movie out of this so that's where the hybrid nature of the film comes from is because i wanted to be able to to make a narrative film and show my skills as a filmmaker because i'm a filmmaker and and i like to consider myself an artist first and foremost so for him to be that compelling and telling me all those things. And obviously in today's distribution world and media world, you have to have something compelling in order for people to watch. You have to have big name actors or, you know, something that's going to um, draw the uh, attention, the attention of, of the masses and the DB Cooper aspect really gave that to me. And that was the blessing of it is because I didn't need big name actors. I didn't need the, um, approval from Hollywood or a production company. Um, I had what I needed in a sense of, of lure and, uh, you know, legendary status of DB Cooper in order to drive the film. So it all just kind of worked in my favor. Well, and then talking to Rodney, you just got to realize that, man, if this is DB Cooper, this guy is a character. This guy has so many different stories and yeah, I mean, play up to those stories and get us, you know, you tell me your story. I'll do everything else. You tell me your story and get us up to the day when you're getting on that plane, put us in your shoes, DB Cooper, you know? So, yeah. And like you mentioned before, those other documentaries that you had seen, like, uh, where is DB Cooper or, uh, the other ones, uh, the mystery of DB Cooper. Yeah. 
db cooper where are you you know the main ones hbo and netflix that just came out like the hbo one i believe is a is a documentary about three different families that believe that their patriarch or someone in their family is D.B. Cooper. So they present evidence. The Netflix one, they're all facts based on the story Mm -hmm. or all, you know, these certain things. So what separates ours completely from that is we're saying this is this man's story. He's still alive and we're going to tell it. And that's what makes ours so much different and so much more entertaining because that's really what we want to be able to do is, we want to be able to entertain the audience while telling them the story of D.B. Cooper, but also entertain them where they're having an experience and actually hijacking the plane with him, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of what we try to do. And, and I think that it really sets itself apart from anything else that's really been out about D.B. Cooper. Well, and it just shows you how big, like, the D.B. Cooper uh, mythos is. It's like mm-hmm. – we got a guy here that, you know, he can, he can put together this elaborate story, whether it's true or not. And we can still like think that this could be the guy. Like that's how big this is, you know? Yes. I mean, our imaginations are captivated just by the simple hope that this could be DB Cooper. And, you know, that's one of those things where I'm thinking like, if there ever is, you know, access to, finding you know the treasure then it could answer a lot of questions for us but we're just not there yet so yeah yeah very true yeah um what was it like what was it like doing like part documentary part act you know act it out like did you did you did you do all the uh did you get his story first then get the actors together and do all that and then put how did it all come together? Because there's a lot of different moving pieces. Yes, there is. And that was kind of the the equation that I had to solve in my head. Because like I said, I thought of this. I, I had, We had done the dig and I was sitting on the footage for a year or so. And uh, I've been a filmmaker for about 12 years uh, doing a lot of like sports documentaries and the National Basketball Association. So I have a production company with Isaiah Thomas, the two-time All-Star yeah, yeah, I saw that he helped with this movie. Yes, yeah, executive produced, and our production company, Slow Grind Media, um, it, it's uh, under that tag. And, you know, I had been doing that for so long, but, I, you know, I love sports, but I'm a filmmaker first and foremost, so I just want to tell compelling stories. Um, so for the past 12 years, you know, I've been working in that space, so I've made friends all across the country uh, that are uh, different people in the filmmaking space, acting and things like that. And um, once I decided that, you know what, we should recreate everything that he's saying, we should make this a story in a narrative style. I just started getting on the phone with everybody. And, you know, normally people take an idea and they go to all of these companies in Hollywood and production companies and things and pitch them the idea. Hey, this is why this is going to be great. This is how we're going to sell it. But instead, I took it in my own hands as the production company and pitched Everyone that worked on the film, the great director of photography, Jacob Owens, uh, you know, um, Isaiah as a producer, uh, producing, writing, camera operators, everything that it takes to make a movie. And I made a phone call to every single one of those people and pitched them the film to get them to sign on. And uh, eventually, when I had all of the pieces together, I brought them all in and, and we started shooting. And uh, everybody just had the best time the whole time of shooting. We shot everything in about like 21 days or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once we got all of that in the can, then and, and what I really wanted to focus on was, you know, it, the, the film, you know, is uh, <laughs> sex, drugs and rock and roll, you know, in a way like it has that fun aspect, old Hollywood style, you know, like you compared it to blow, you know, it's like if blow meets Tiger King, you know what I yes, mean? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, really wanted to do that. So then it was time to edit. And because we were working on such an indie budget and I am familiar with all aspects of filmmaking, I wrote, directed it and edited it. So I had to now take all of this footage, edit it into a compelling way and take the documentary and the narrative and try to create something with it. And not a lot of films do that. I mean, I don't really know of many films that done that. There was one called American Animals that did it. I remember uh, that movie. Yes. Yeah. And 
you know, they were kind of did the same where they went from interviews and then dipped in, but it was still different because we were doing something in our documentary instead of just talking about it. So it was very much of this equation I was trying to solve and it, and I just had to work through it and, uh, and try to make something compelling and try to make something make sense. You know, it had to make sense and you had to keep the audience following. So that was something that was very difficult, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I got through it. So that was, that was, yeah, that was good. Well, it's kind of, I mean, you know, a documentary, there's times where, I mean, we live in, uh, we live in the TikTok generation now where we're all like, yeah you know, being pulled different places and we have a short attention span, a lot shorter than we did back in the day when there was only three networks back in like the seventies and eighties. And so we're with the way that you have it, it's like one moment you're, you're, you're sitting with Rodney. The next minute you're sitting with, you know, two of these, uh, you know, uh, bondsmen and, yeah. you know, that are like dog, the bounty hunter with guns. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, those guys are characters, too. I enjoyed yes. watching those guys. And then the next minute you're watching a reenactment. So it's like it's like it's hard to kind of like, you know, zone out or get on your phone and start doing other stuff because you're constantly being uh, thrown like different situations that Rodney got in with the reenactments. And they're all bizarre. So. Yes, yes. And, th- and that's the thing is that we were able to add the dialogue, which was my favorite part is because we really got to fill in the blanks and tell the stories like, hey, he's telling this and this is how we think that it happened or this is how it happened. You know, for example, they did some really great. They're doing some great reenactment stuff in these documentaries now. Have you seen Pepsi? Where's my jet? I saw that. Yes. Yeah. And they were doing great reenactments as well. But see, the difference between theirs is, is that they didn't have any dialogue. So. The big challenge was taking the audience from documentary and putting them into narrative where they're actually watching a film. You know what I mean? It's almost hard to even call them reenactments because we're just taking you back into that time and allowing you to live there with him and see what actually happened. So I I, I love that part. I mean, that was really my whole strategy from the beginning, and I'm glad that it worked out, you know. Oh, it did. I thought it worked really well. And I thought that the the main guy, Ryan, what's his name? Ryan Corey? Ryan Corey. He was fantastic. Like, it was, I could almost see, like, you handing him the script and showing him, like, clips of Rodney and him just being like, okay, I'm going to eat this up. I'm going to eat this up. I'm going to go nuts. He's going to take it to the, you know, I'm going to take it. I'm going to dial it in at 11. I'm going to go that extra step with this guy. And he's like that. And that's funny because, you know, he's really like that. And he's always been like that because I actually knew I I, I was friends with his younger sister when we were in middle school and he was in high school. So I've actually known him since I was a kid. And I'd always, you know, he was always just kind of goofy and loud. And he was a filmmaker as well. Yeah. Uh, So. When I when I got the Rodney situation, like who would play this? Like he popped in my head immediately. I gave him a call and he accepted the job. So it was I didn't even have to cast for that situation. You know, it was just like I knew that he could play him. I knew that that was a version of Rodney Bonifield. You know, it was perfect casting because I was thinking to myself, like, you know, everything that I've ever seen with D.B. Cooper reenacted. It's all serious, right? Yeah. This guy's cold. He's calculated. But when you've got Jason Bourne, he's James Bond. Exactly, you know? exactly. And so with this, I was just like, okay, they're basing it off of this dude, Rodney Bonifield, who's a character, a wild character, even like in his 70s now. So it's like, you've got to have somebody that can like match that energy, but as a younger guy. And I thought Ryan did a fantastic job. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, it was great. And one of my favorite uh, favorite um, performances was uh, Chris Grounds, uh, plays Marty in the film. He's his uh, sidekick. You yeah. Know? And he's he's an amazing dude, and, and I think he did an amazing job as well. Um, funny story about him. He uh, he didn't know how to drive a stick shift uh, car, right? And right. I called him, and he was, like, very weary about whether or not he could pull off what I wanted him to, you know, just needed a little confidence boost. So I finally got him to confirm. So he drove from Los Angeles to Seattle to come film. And he got in the day before shooting. Well, actually, same day. It was like 1 a.m. So we wake up in the morning. He's like, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. And he had to drive that blue truck. You know, the, the cowboy picks up Rodney. After yeah, the job. yeah. And, and that's a 1954 period all original Dodge truck. And he had to learn how to do that. So I'm like, well, shit, we have to figure out how you're going to drive this truck. 
So I'm like, let's go out and I'll find a stick shift and we'll practice, you know, four hours before we shoot. Yeah. So we get uh, one of the regulars at my uh, folks's uh, golf course bar uh, is this kid and he had a golf, like a 98 golf, uh, VW golf. So we get in. I'm like, all right, you ready? And then the, the kid goes, oh, yeah, one other thing. It has a breathalyzer. <laughs> oh, so, wow. Uh, so I'm sitting in the passenger seat. Chris Grounds is trying to learn how to drive a stick while having to breathe in the breathalyzer. I mean, the, the, the fact that we were trying to do all these things at once was insane. He kind of got the hang of it. I don't know if he learned more about how to blow in a breathalyzer or how to drive a stick, but we felt comfortable. So it's uh, about midnight or 1 a.m. the next day when we're trying to film the scene with the truck. And Chris gets in the truck and starts to drive it down the road. He does two takes. On the third take, he comes down, picks up Rodney, puts it into gear, and completely breaks the drive shaft of the truck. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and, oh, no. and I had to wait there till 6 a.m. for somebody to come with a tow truck in order to tow it back. And it was just a, it was a complete shit show, but uh, but we got the shots, so that's that's the good part. That's wild. The, oh, the breathalyzer didn't. Do you have to blow in it to start it? Is that yeah, how it's it a works? blow and go? So you got to yeah. blow in to start it, and then when you first start driving, you have to do it every three minutes, and then it turns into five minutes. So yeah, it was really it was really counterproductive. <laughs> You need to have just a documentary on the making of this movie, man. I know, right? We did film all the BTS. I just haven't. I've been so slammed, so I haven't been able to get to it. But I'm going to be releasing uh, something showing the making of the film because it was just it was crazy. Yeah, like if you know, Blu-ray extra extra features would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Especially exactly. with like the 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 Rokas, man. Those guys are just characters in themselves. I was just, yes. yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um oh the the stuff with Rita Coolidge. Yes. Okay, what can you tell me about that? Cuz I'm like okay. I mean, I'm buying everything. This guy could be DB Cooper and now he's talking about, you know, uh having a, a romantic encounter with a country singer/actor. slash actor. I'm yeah. like, now now the story is just getting where are we? Okay, well, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, so I mean, infamously, uh, Rita Coolidge wrote DB on the DB Cooper soundtrack for the '84 film. I think uh, one of the films that were that there was a, the the big one back in I think it was '81. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he said it, I'm like I said, I'm a filmmaker. I want to make a Hollywood movie. So I'm like, well, we have live music. We can right. have live music. We can have an an old starlet from back in the day. Uh, Rainy Blake, who plays that, she was on. Um, I, I, I posted one day. I need a. I need an actress to play uh, Rita Coolidge that knows how to sing, uh, make original music, and act. And my friend DM'd me on uh, social media and say, "Hey, try her out." She was on the show Nashville, that big CMT or yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I, t- I pitched her the thing, and she was like, "Yeah, let's do it." She actually music supervised the film as well with Eric Grossman. And, uh, and yeah, so when Rodney said it, you know, like, obviously it was very much like, oh, like, really? This, you, 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 <laughs> you hijacked an airplane, jumped out of it with $250,000, got away. Yeah. And then a couple years later, you're, uh, in bed with the, uh, with one of the main Hollywood starlets of their time. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, <laughs> shit, what, hey, everything else is checked out, you know, so right. why not? So, it was one of those things where it was like it's it just made for even a better movie and um I loved every part of it so I had to add it in there. Was know? she a Bond girl? I was looking at her IMDb and it looks like she was in a Bond movie and I'm just like the dude that gets compared to James Bond was in bed with a Bond girl? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure but yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I I need to check out her IMDb or ask her but yeah, I mean that that's how I knew we had a great story because I had such good talent and so many good people that signed on to do it without any question. You know, they were they were totally all in on it. So, yeah, I, I knew that we had something good. She was an octopusy, but I, yeah. she, it says that she's a performer. I, it doesn't say she was like a specific Bond girl, but just the fact that okay. she was in a James Bond movie is kind of mind blowing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
and and another interesting thing uh the person that shot our skunk our, our uh, skydive yeah Greg o'brien he actually did the famous um skydive scene in mi6 oh, uh, wow. so yeah that, that was the famous uh night skydive scene so we had some authenticity there as well that's awesome it sounds like a sounds like a huge joint effort and it's like you didn't it's crazy how these things come together yeah you Especially know? this one. I mean, it was it was definitely very. It was it was it, you know you just had to keep going. You just had to keep you know this is going to be something. I know it's going to be something. We just have to keep pushing and keep shooting and making sure that we're you know covering all of our our ends of the spectrum. And and we did. You know, it was a it was a huge lift. It really was. Yeah. Um, th- uh, as far as like the theatrical release for this, I saw just like a few locations. Are they planning on hopefully getting some more locations added in the future? Yeah. So there is, um, I think now there's seven, uh, locations. Um, this weekend, uh, varsity theater and U district. And then there's the Cine Lounge in Los Angeles right there on Sunset Boulevard. There's one in San Francisco, a couple in Oregon, Portland and Roseburg, which is kind of the Eugene market. Um, and then actually some random ones that just picked it up, uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan and Pittsburgh. Um, so yeah, so people are picking it up, but you know, obviously it's tough to get anyone to go to the movie theaters lately because, you know, you can just get it at home, you know, so that's why yeah. we're grateful to be available on every single platform. You can watch it on DirecTV, Comcast, Apple, Amazon, everywhere. So nice. I, I prefer to watch stuff in the theater if I have oh, the... especially this movie too because yeah. I, I did have a I got into the Seattle International Film Festival uh with the film so we actually had a showing at AMC uh here in Seattle and it was so amazing just because we spent so much hard work on the music you know and yeah. the score and when you're in there and you're watching it it just it it gets you, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful film to watch in the theater because you can actually feel everything, you know. And there's nothing better than having Nicole Kidman intro your movie, you know. Yeah, exactly. Heartbreak. <laughs> Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Yes, huh? Yeah. No, that that's that's incredible. So it's going to be like VOD. So like you can go to Vudu, you can go to Amazon Prime. It's going to be available day of. Day of. Yep. Everywhere. Yep. I think like okay, what is your pitch to people that are that are not like into DB Cooper? Because like that's the big thing here. It's like this is DB Cooper, so it's almost kind of like niche. This is perfect for me, and I've talked yes. about DB Cooper on this podcast before, and like I've exposed yes. a lot of people that were not familiar with the character, with the guy, with with the lore of DB Cooper. But there's going to be people that are like. I am DB Cooper. What's what is this all about? What what's your pitch to get people that aren't familiar with DB Cooper, you know, to rent this? Yeah, and and I think that you know, first of all, the demographic, you know, it spans across to everywhere because of the fact that it is about DB Cooper and it is a period piece. The older, you know, the older demographic is going to want to relive it, you know, because they all remember it, you yeah. know, whether or not they saw the news headline. And then because of the nature of the film, you know, we, we try to, you know, it's somewhat of a comedy. We try to be as funny as possible, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll and bounty hunters with big guns. You know, then it's also got the younger um, demographic that is going to love to watch it because of the entertainment factor. And they also get to learn about D.B. Cooper. Yeah. For people that don't know D.B. Cooper or are not really familiar with it, I mean, if you watch the film, you're just going to have a great time and a wild ride. You're going to be listening to all original, wonderful music made by beautiful artists. Um, and, and you're going to be entertained, uh, because of all of those factors, because we don't, the, the film really doesn't slow down. It just keeps going and keeps moving to the, onto the next thing, onto the next thing, yeah. you know? And, and I think that just the fact of like when I said, you know, it's like blow meets Tiger King. I mean, why did people like Tiger King? You know what I mean? Because the guy was so crazy and so entertaining. Yeah. You didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth next. And I think that that really, you know, it, it transcends the film transcends what the D.B. Cooper myth and legend is because it's taking you on this ride of solving this mystery. But also, you know just the journey of a, of a crazy, a crazy American gangster in the seventies, you know, and it's just entertaining as hell. It reminded me of, uh, that, uh, that Sam Rockwell movie where he was, uh, Chuck Barris. 
the the host of the Gong Show, and he said he had like oh, okay. this completely separate life as a as like a CIA agent. Yes. So yes, they yes. made a movie about Chuck Barris, the host of a Gong Show, as a CIA yes. agent, and so it's like this guy is basically saying I had like this wild life as you know a thief, and on top of all that, I uh, was DB Cooper. So it's yes. like, <laughs> you know, it's like, exactly, exactly. yeah. So it's like one of those things that I think you, you get, you get to watch this guy. And at the end, it's, it's kind of like up to the viewer to make that decision as to like, is, yes, is and that he creates the, yeah, and that creates conversation. Yeah. You know? I, if you don't believe that it's him, I have more power to you. You know what I mean? When, when we did the screening in, uh, when we did the screening in Seattle at AMC, uh, there was uh, two guys that came and at the Q&A afterwards, one raised his hand and he brought his books to sell. He wrote a book about D.B. Cooper. They were both certified D.B. Cooper scholars. And the first guy was like, I've heard about Rodney Bonifield. I'm so glad that you put a face to the name and, you know, just said how compelling it was. And then the other D.B. Cooper scholar raised his hand. I think uh, one or both of them were in the Netflix series. And the other one raised his hand. He said, None of this is true. And I was like, well, that's up to you. I mean, that's great. If right. you don't think any of it's true, did you like the movie? You know, and he was, a, you know, being somewhat of a hater by saying that. But I was like, well, did you enjoy the movie? And he was like, yeah, it was a really good movie. And I'm like, there you go. <laughs> that's <laughs> what go. movies are for. That's the purpose. Yes. Yes, that's why that's Nic- the purpose. That's it. Nicole Kidman should have told you that at the beginning of this movie, that they're here yeah. to entertain us. But <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. As long as it. See, that's what I, I, I thought about it as well. I was like, it, it, yes, would I love to know definitively who DB Cooper is? Yes. But on the flip side, was I not entertained by the end of this movie? And I thoroughly was. And the music was fantastic. You know, uh, the music was fantastic. The acting was great. There was the elements of comedy. I enjoyed watching his parents' interactions with one another. Um, yeah, I thought yeah, the guy yeah. that played his dad was just, just brilliant. So yeah, yeah. yes. But, yeah, no, it was awesome. And, you know, that's why I want really I love the fact that we were able to recreate back then. And, you know, it's so hard to shoot a period piece. So I had to really figure out how to how we were going to do that. So I love that scene in the film when it's Thanksgiving Day after the hijacking and they're all in the living room, you know, and, yeah. you know, no smoking in the house stuff. And I just I, I I wanted to channel that energy from those old sitcoms, you know, and write that type of story uh, in that scene. And and that was why I had so much fun with the film is because we were able to go back in the day when when, you know, good Hollywood films, you know, were just so fun to make and so fun to watch. And there was really no pressure in that sense. It was just about having fun and and making something that we're all proud of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You should be proud of this. It it was I think, you you know, because I was going into it. the, The whole reason I wanted to watch this and talk with you is because of all the D.B. Cooper stuff that I consumed over the years. And so, yeah. um, I, you know, it's you have compelling characters. There's definitely a polish to this movie with all these chaotic things that are happening with this character of Rodney Bonifield, uh, Bonifield. And I I think that this is definitely worth the price of admission seeing in the theater and then definitely worth renting. I, I, I was yeah. very entertained. And like, like yeah, you're wow. saying – Tiger King and Blow, it is an amalgamation of the two, and it's it's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, good. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I was worried by the end of this thing. I was like, if we don't get definitive answers, like at the beginning, I was like, if we don't get definitive <laughs> answers, because I have been upset watching some of these documentaries before. Yeah. It's like, you keep telling me that this guy is D.B. Cooper, could be D.B. Cooper, and I get to the end and everything's just like, you know, shattered. Okay. Yeah, especially in like today's world, you know, you watch a Netflix one or something and they're going to drag on the story for four episodes or six episodes. Yeah. And just... You're not going to get anything definitive. You're just going to be, you know, they're regurgitating some of the same information that's been out there as well as giving other people's opinions, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's why this one is, is dope is because we, we, we try to be as definitive as possible. We try to state our case, but we're also telling the story of not only DB Cooper, but we're telling the story of Rodney Bonifield. This yeah. is his life as he knows it. This is, this is the story of Rodney Bonifield. I always compare it to, um, to a knight's tale with, uh, Heath Ledger, you know, because he, all he wanted to do is change his stars. That was his dream. He wanted to be a knight and he wasn't born into that. So how was he going to do that? 
And that's the same thing with Ronnie Bonifield. I mean, regardless of his circumstances or where he came up and, and he wanted to be something greater than what he was. He wanted to be a legend. So regardless of his Rodney Bonifield has been living with this lie his whole life because he's claimed to be D.B. Cooper his whole life uh, or he really is D.B. Cooper. He changed he's he changed his stars. I mean, we just made a movie about the guy. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. So yeah. that is very important to me because everybody in the world wants to, you know, be something they're not or or be something greater than they are right now. And this is really a, a story about that, you know. I guess like only he really knows, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the other uh, the other thing in this was just uh, emotionally what Rodney was going through right before the heist, and I'm thinking like at one point in this, isn't he talking about like kidnapping? Was it Ramona? Yes, I'm yes. Like, what yes. is going on here with this guy? And he's just telling this, like, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna go kidnap, you know, the love of my life because she was getting preparing to leave me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is wild, man. Yes, yes. And that, that was, that, that was the thing is that it made sense because you really could, you know, heartbreak is a hell of a thing. Yeah. You know, and if you are that heartbroken and you are that strung out on drugs, you can do some pretty crazy things. You think you, you know? got nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. So Rodney, you know, get, was up for four days on speed, decided that they found out his girlfriend was at the mall in Portland, Oregon, uh, you know, to save on that sales tax. So he, uh, you know, got in his folks car and mobbed down to Portland and he was going to pretty much take her hostage yeah. and say and pretty much demand that he, she was going to be with him. Uh, and it didn't necessarily work out like that. So, um, so yeah, so it, it was a compelling reason on why he went off the deep end, you mm-hmm. know? So he's, how long, how long, how far into his sentence is he now? Do you know? Yeah, I think he's about three years in. Three years. So he gets out in another year. You thinking about, yeah, yeah. thinking about following up with Rodney in the future? Are you done? Yeah, if, you, he, if he lasts that long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if he lasts that long. Uh, no, I, I I really enjoyed this. I think as like as a DB Cooper fan, this was definitely a must see. It's definitely one you gotta you gotta watch. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. got it was fun because I got to come to my own conclusion. Because watching some of those other documentaries, it's just like, oh, I, are you familiar with the? Sh- it's a show called uh, the, the 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 They're Searching for Treasure on Oak Island, and every week oh. it's just like three guys drilling into the ground and oh our drill bit broke uh, yes we yeah, got- and that's that's the thing that gets me the most upset because i i it's hard for me to consume content like that it's like 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 watching like uh you know ghost stories or yeah. something like that you know it's like telling us you you have a tv show about ghost hunting but obviously we're never going to see a ghost. So what are we, we, we're just seeing some people freaking out because they think that they, you know, and that's, that, that's the thing is that we, we, we want to be able to show you that we're really trying. We're yeah. really going out and trying to dig up this money. If we, if we find it, then great. If we don't find it, then, then shit. But the fact that he gave us facts on the story and we were able to give more context of how we, we we theorize of how this whole hijacking took place uh made it so it was satisfying to the viewer and the fact that he's telling you about like the terrain and all this other stuff and, and it's and all it adding exactly, up yeah it was exactly what he described it before we got there you know like it was exact everything that he said checked out in a sense of what that area was like right what the terrain was like and he told us before and when we got down there it was it was just the, as he described. I don't see Rodney on Google Maps and any or anything like that looking at yeah, it. You yeah. know, this is yeah. It, it, I I was just like, oh my gosh, this is this might be the guy. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's a it's a fun movie. I wouldn't just I wouldn't say like what would you call it? Is it like it's not a documentary? It's also a movie. It's a, yeah. Hybrid documentary, or I, I like to use the term docudrama. Docudrama. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 Well, it's fantastic. TJ, 
man, like what, what, do you, what else do you have going on after this? You've got to be looking at like the next project. Is it going to be Yeah, st- trying to? Yeah, I just um, I just did a film that released last night on CBS Sports Network uh, about Lute Olson, the legendary Arizona head basketball coach from uh, 84 to about 2007 or so. Uh, he passed away in 2020, so we told his life story and his improbable run to the 1997 championship. So for any NBA fans or college basketball fans, that's something that we just recently released. And then, um, and then, yeah, I've been filming, uh, Isaiah Thomas, the two-time all-star and, and, uh, big NBA player. Well, actually mm-hmm. the smallest NBA player picked, uh, last in the NBA. He was actually the 60th pick and went on to lead his team to the Eastern Conference Finals and, Two, two championships uh, with Detroit. Yeah, no, that's the other one. So Isaiah Thomas, my friend Isaiah Thomas, was the Boston Celtics Isaiah Thomas. Okay, okay. Yes, and he led his team to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he's actually the shortest. He was the shortest player in the NBA. Um, so I've been filming his life for twelve years oh, since wow. college. So we're going to be uh, eventually putting out a documentary about him and his life story and everything that's happened with him. Uh, but yeah, and now, you know, I'm just, I'm looking for that next big story out of the sports world that I can kind of show and uh, showcase and, and tell. So, uh, really just, you know, kind of on the hunt to find something that I can be as passionate about as I was about this last one. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I watch all the NBA, uh, documentaries and all that right now I'm watching the Shaq one on HBO (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But before I've, you know, I've watched... You know, the malice at the palace, the, the Ron right Artest. Those, yeah. Yeah. Those untold documentaries are great. You know, about the, have you watched the trashers one? The one about the garbage, uh, the, uh, garbage company, uh, mogul. They kind of based the Sopranos off of him. No. Uh, yeah. And his son, uh, he gave his son a semi pro hockey team called the trashers. And uh, they they did an untold just like the Malice at the Palace, but it's a very interesting <laughs> interesting. It's like WWE meets hockey. Oh and wow! They just, yeah, it's really interesting. But uh, but yeah, those untold documentaries are are really good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep up the good work. Um, I mean, I will definitely. I mean, any sports documentary that you put out, I'll probably be watching it because I'm all I'm into that. I mean, Love the it. Last Dance. Uh, did you, yeah, did you did you see the Stefan Marbury one? Yes, I did. Yes. And Kid from Coney Island. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. yeah. And then the Iverson one was fantastic, too. Cause... Iverson one was great. Yes. Some of my favorite, I mean, my favorite sports documentary, one of my favorite, probably my favorite sports documentary of all time is Senna. Have you seen that one? I haven't. About the uh, Formula One driver? Uh-uh. I haven't seen that one. Brazil. Oh, that is one of the most beautiful, amazing documentaries. If you uh, watch that one, I would highly recommend that. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that yeah. out. I, I started it. S E N N A. S-E-N-A. All right. Senna, I'll check that out. S-E-N-N-A. Okay. Yep. All right. TJ, it has been a blast talking with you. Uh, anything on the socials that you want to plug if people want to reach out to you? Yeah, just my, my social handle on Instagram is TJ Regan, T-E-E-J-A-Y-R-E-G-A-N. And, uh, DB Cooper, the I am DB Cooper film has its own website. And social handles, it's imdbcoopermovie.com. And, uh, and yeah, the production company for mine and Isaiah's, uh, website in, and also has his clothing line and everything on it is slowgrind.media. Slowgrind.media. So. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have like a mailing list and all that stuff? Yeah. I, yep. Yep. We go. got all that set up. So. Awesome. TJ, it's been a blast. I'm going to be putting this episode out. I think our listeners are going to absolutely love it, need it up, because I know we've got some DB Cooper fans listening. So Hell yes. Hell yes. Love it. And I uh, hope everyone enjoys the film. And thanks again for having me. This was a blast. Absolutely. Anything that you got going on in the future, you can just send me an email and we can get together, man. Hell yes. Awesome. I'd love to hear it. Awesome. All right, brother. Thank you. Peace.